So we are in the book of Exodus. We took a break for um, triumphal entry. I was going to say Palm Sunday, but we didn't really talk about palms at all on that Sunday, which is fine. It's, it is more of a triumphal entry Sunday, really. It just didn't, that, that doesn't have the same marketing appeal to say, <laughs> to say triumphal entry Sunday. Um, and then we, we celebrated Easter and the resurrection of Jesus and the good news and of life that comes from that, our freedom, our, our healing. And now we're back into the book of Exodus. We're, we're actually almost halfway through the book. Uh, we are really going to pick up the pace um, in, in a little while. We are going to, I think we're going to finish it, but we're going to take like 15 chapters at a time type pace of Exodus because... Well, it gets into a lot of laws, and the exciting story parts get lost a little bit. But we are in uh, Exodus 18. And so let me just recap the story. God has called Moses. They've set the people free. They've had this experience of rescue from, the people, uh, from Pharaoh. They've got the rescue through the Reed Sea. They've come through the other side. And then they enter into a, a time of testing. I, I think that's... Probably, I'm not sure what else you would call it. And, and we had some friends here come and share about the, the, the bread and the water and the provision of God. And, and in that, we have this theme of testing. Remy's getting in on it too. It's all like that. Yeah. Uh, and and when, I, when we talk about testing, one of the things that I, I think is important for us to realize is that it's testing not in that God is placing tests in front of the people of Israelites and saying, like, now I'm going to make life hard for you. Are you going to believe in me? And are you going to trust in me? It's not that, um, as, as one example I, I heard, it's not like God's throwing out banana peels on the road and trying to slip up the Israelites, right? The testing that comes in the wilderness is actually just the realities of life. They have to go through a wilderness. They're being led through a wilderness. What don't wildernesses have much of? Water. Food. And so as life leads them on this journey, they enter into a place in which there is a shortage of food and there's a shortage of water, and they enter into a time of testing. And the invitation to the people of Israel in this time of testing is, will you trust me, God asks, will you trust me even when life is hard? Even when life feels very dry and you're concerned about water and you're concerned about food, will you trust me? This is the test that is placed in front of them. Not that God created the circumstances, but in the midst of the circumstances of life, will you trust me? Israelites don't do particularly well, but this idea of testing is going to come up a few more times, and I think especially next week as we get to Mount Sinai, there's another test that is placed in front of the Israelites, and they're asked again, will you trust me? And so it becomes a theme throughout the book of Exodus that we want to notice. And now, as the people have experienced God's provision and they're walking through the wilderness, we come to Exodus chapter 18, and there's a little bit of a, it almost feels like a little diversion story, a side story in the bigger story of God's rescue and of the testing and what God has in plan. But let me read uh, verses 1 to 12. Jethro, Midian's priest and Moses' father-in-law, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and for God's people, Israel. 
how Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt. And Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, took with him Zipporah, Moses' wife, whom he had sent away, along with her two sons. One was named Gershom, because he had said, I have been an immigrant living in a foreign land. And the other's name was Eliezer, because he said, the God of my ancestors was my helper who rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought Moses' son and wife back to him in the desert where he had set up camp at God's mountain. He sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you along with your wife and her two sons. And sons." And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down and kissed him. They asked each other how they were doing, and they went into the tent. Moses then told his father-in-law everything that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians on Israel's behalf all the difficulty they'd had on their journey, and how Yahweh had rescued them. Jethro was glad about all the good things that Yahweh had done for Israel in saving them from the Egyptians' power. And Jethro said, Bless Yahweh who rescued you from the Egyptians' power and from Pharaoh's power, who rescued the people from Egypt's oppressive power. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods because of what has happened when the Egyptians plotted against them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought an entirely, entirely burned, sacrifice, burned offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all of Israel's elders to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. So in verses 1 to 12, we see again this theme of the name of Yahweh. We talked about that a few weeks ago when Pharaoh, who had originally said, Who's Yahweh? I don't know Yahweh. Why would I worship him. And, and God says, I will make myself known. I will reveal my name to the people and to the nations around. And so here's Midian, the representative, or Jethro, the representative of Midian. And, and he comes and he says, well, now I know who this Yahweh is. I see the power and the character of this Yahweh. I know that Yahweh is greater than all the other gods. And so I will worship them, him. And so there's this Beautiful story, this theme of, of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, showing up, knowing who Yahweh is, and then them worshiping and representing. The story continues in verse 13. The next day Moses sat as a judge for the people while the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what's this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people are standing around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When a conflict arises between the two of them, I also, I, they come to me and I judge between the two of them. I also teach them God's regulations and instructions. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing isn't good. You will end up totally wearing yourself out, both you and these people who are with you. The work is too difficult for you. You can't do it alone. Now listen to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. Your role should be to, to be representing the people before God. You should bring their disputes before God yourself. Explain the regulations and instructions to them. Let them know the way they are supposed to go and the things they are supposed to do. But you should also look among all the people for capable persons who respect God. They should be trustworthy and not corrupt. Set these persons over the people as officers of groups of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times. They should bring every major dispute to you, 
but you should decide all the minor but they should decide all the minor cases themselves this will be much easier for you and they will share your load if you do this and god directs you then you will be able to endure and all these people will be able to go back to their homes much happier moses listened to his father-in-law's suggestion and did everything that he had said moses chose capable persons from all of israel and set them as leaders over the people as officers over groups of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They acted as judges for the people at all times. They would refer the hard cases to Moses, but all of the minor cases they decided themselves. And then Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, and Jethro went back to his own country. This section, we could maybe call it the wisdom of the nations. It is a wisdom that comes from this person, Jethro, Outside of the family of God, we might call this secular wisdom. He comes and says, what you're doing isn't good. Here's some good advice. Let me tell you a way that can make this work better for you. What you are doing is not good. What happens when we let one person become this mediator between us and God and judge? Moses is playing the role of priest, prophet, mayor, general, uh, judge. And Moses listens to this secular advice, and later it is affirmed by God as good wisdom. It is good wisdom that is given to him by his father-in-law. It is affirmed by God. I think it's a good reminder for us to remember that not all wisdom and all good plans come just simply from the Bible, that there's a lot of wisdom that is around us in the world that is worth listening to. There is good advice that we receive from people who are the priests of Midian, who do not walk with Jesus. And so it's good for us to listen, to weigh carefully the words that are spoken. But I think there's also another problem. As I was considering this story, and it's this way in which Moses becomes the elevated person for all of the people. There's something not good about the celebration of the one spiritual leader who holds all of the power and is the one that everybody goes to and asks for their advice on this situation. Maybe our problem today in the church is that we actually have listened too much to the CEO strategy businessing of church. We have elevated too many leaders to a place like Moses where they're the one. We want them to tell us what to do. We want them to settle our disputes. We want them to tell me what God wants for my life. Or we just simply allow them to be the one to tell us what God wants for our life. It's not even that we're asking them to. It's just like, well, that's easier. It's easier to go to Moses and let him tell me what to do than to try and discern it on my own with other people, to ask the Holy Spirit to speak into my life. And so I wanted just to remind us today that there is only one mediator between you and Yahweh, God our Lord. His name is Jesus. That's the only mediator you need. The Holy Spirit is already speaking and living in you and giving you good advice and helping you judge the situations and the lives and the things. And we invite the church, we invite the community to come and speak into our lives. And Nikki and I were making some decisions over the last little while. We, we talked to lots of people that we, we trust and whose advice and counsel means a lot to us. And we said, what do you think about this? And how do you, would you, what would you say into this situation? And that's important. Godly counsel is, is, is crucial to our lives. 
But the elevation of a single leader who holds that kind of power is never good. And Jethro looks at the situation and says, this isn't good. You're going to burn out the people and you're going to burn out yourself. And there's a better way. It's good news that we have a Jesus who has welcomed us into the family of God. That God speaks to us personally through the Holy Spirit, through the church. I think it wasn't good for Moses to be the one who held all the power to lead and to judge, and it still isn't good for us today. There's one other thing in this story that, that I think we miss a lot, and it's really, really important. If you notice in verse 23, Moses goes and he sets up this system of judges to help administer the conflicts and the struggles and the problems within it. And verse 23, the advice is, if you do this and God directs you, then you will be able to endure, and all of these people will be able to go back to their homes much happier. Which, as much as I love the Common English Bible, is not a good translation of the word. It's satisfied. Uh, The message says the people will flourish. The NLT and NRSV, probably the best, says they will go home in peace. The Hebrew word is shalom. It is the restoration of relationships. It is the well-being of all the people. Right harmony, right relationships, right, right being. This is what is called Hebraic justice. It's very different than the world that we think of when we think of justice. Often when we think of justice, if you do something wrong to me, the consequence is you get the punishment. You steal something, you go to jail for X number of days, right? If you break my fence, then the right thing to do is that you make restoration and you fix, pay for my fence, right? And so we have this, it's called, uh, the, the fancy word is retributive justice, is what our entire Western judicial system is based on. It's an idea that if you do something wrong, there is a consequence that must be paid for that justice. That is not the system that the Hebrews worked under. There were laws, there were uh, suggested consequences for the actions, but the, the end goal of justice in the Bible, in Hebrew Bible, was that people would go back to a place of shalom. That relationships would be healed. And so justice was not that, you, that, that Sean got what he deserved because he hurt me and he killed my goat. Justice is that Sean and I can sit with each other again and worship together and we can look at each other and we can say, we are still friends. Things have been healed between us and the goat situation has been dealt with. We dealt with that. But the primary piece is that now our relationship is healed. The purpose of the judges in Exodus 18 was so that the people, when they came with disputes, would be able to go back in right relationship. This is God's vision for justice for the world. It is a vision of justice that is not to punish people for their wrongs, but it is to mend and heal the broken relationship between people And this then is the calling for those of us who follow the Jesus way. 
When we sin, we break relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves, and with the earth. God's justice is to bring healing to each and every part that has been broken, to fix the relationships, to heal them, to restore what was broken. God pursues us to heal what has been broken, and God invites us to join in that justice now. Now, there's lots that has to be said about the, the rights of the victim and that the victim is not re-victimized in the purpose of, of healing relationships, right? There, there are situations in which the crimes done against people are, are such that, that, you know, you're probably never going to sit down and have a meal together again. And yet, our um, MCC and others have done incredible work around this idea of restorative justice, of victim-offender victim reconciliation and mediation, where they, where they sit together and they, they actually work out like what is a good consequence for what has happened and the harm that is done so that at least there can be some forgiveness, so there can be healing. And so there's a work for those who follow in the way of Jesus to be involved in this restorative justice, in this healing of relationships, where we begin to work with God to heal the broken relationships that are caused by sin, our sins and the sins of others. This is part of why we believe that, that being engaged in the work of reconciliation with our indigenous neighbors is part of the call of the gospel is because where there is a sin, there is a call to heal the relationship. The healing of the relationship is the healing of the sin. That's justice. And so we have to go to those who we have harmed by our legacy of, of colonization. And we don't come and say, give us the consequence. <laughs> right? It's what will heal the relationship that we can walk together in sufficiency and healing together. It's much more complicated. In, in, in many ways, the, the Western system of justice is very easy, right? You do this crime, you get five years. You do this crime, you pay a fine. It, 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 that's, that's easy. We can, we can give it out to everybody, but that doesn't heal the relationships. It doesn't fix the brokenness. And so the invitation is for us to be agents of God's justice in the world, looking for where we can engage in the restoring justice so that where there is pain and hurt and brokenness and trauma and generational sins of injustice, that God's restoring work of justice and healing can be made known through his agents, the church. Amen.